What is going on? How are things? How is life? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. We've got just a handful of topics. I actually have more than this. I really appreciate all the emails, all the tweets, Facebook. I have quite a few topics I think built up. These were just the ones I wrote down and I still have uh, a few dozen emails probably to get through. So I apologize if I haven't gotten back to you, but I certainly have been getting all the topics and trying to write them down. So what we're going to talk about briefly, um, again, this is likely going to be kind of one of those quick hitter shows. I'm going to try to keep this under the 45 minute mark, 30 minute mark or so. So we'll tightly go through some topics. We'll go through the show bidding scam that I talked briefly on the last show and involved Mastro auctions, but also lots of other people tied with the hobby, including people from PSA cards and SGC graded cards and lots of other kind of, uh, you know, people that are tied to the industry. So that wasn't good. So we'll talk briefly about that. Panini raising prices retroactively. I've never seen this. I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody that's been in the business longer than I, or that have been you know on the business side longer, and maybe have a better memory too. Remembers uh, a company retroactively raising a pre-order price. So I don't know if I've ever seen that. So we'll talk about that. Um, vintage players worth money. This one came in via Twitter. And since I've been, you know, <laughs> the industry summit has been going on this week on Twitter. And so I've been trying to, you know, fire people up a little bit. I think the hobby could use a little bit of uh, fire under its ass. So uh, I've been trying to fire some people up. So I, the, this tweet that this, this person sent me is, is buried at this point. It's the unfortunate fact of Twitter or, you know, state of Twitter, but, uh, you know, I kind of remember his questions were kind of some vintage baseball players that are worth money, not name. I believe it was Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth and Willie Mays. So I'll, I'll cover a handful of players that I think you could, if you're, you know, still want kind of that higher end experience buying vintage, but maybe, you know, you already have your kind of low-grade mantle. You have a low-grade maze and a low-grade Hank Aaron that you you know you could reasonably afford, but still might have been a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, or or more. But uh, maybe you want to play around with some of these other players. Maybe you can get a higher grade, five, six, seven, with those players. We'll talk about that. Another emailer asked me, "What is a true rookie?" <laughs> boy, oh boy. I might probably am not the best person to ask for that, but uh, boy, oh boy, it's a, it's a tough distinction. I know that they're coming out with Topps Chrome Baseball in August, and I believe it has Carlos Correa rookie cards in it. Or you know, again, we we have to put all that in air quotes. I think some of the lines are blurred. We'll talk about that, and. You know, we might throw in, we'll throw in some industry summit talk at the end, but I don't think a whole lot has been going on. Let's kick it off. Mastro auctions, boy, these guys uh, scammed at bare minimum uh, roughly 350 people over a, a several year period. 
Uh, it was over 2,500 different auctions, and it was in north of $615,000 in fraud. A lot of these guys are getting, um, you know, getting convicted. of. I've seen a couple different jail sentences for, for some of these guys that are involved in these auction houses. These were for a, actually a, like a prior case. And so this case is going to get, you know, through the works. And so it, it actually should scare a lot of people out of these auction houses. So and it might drive some people to the ones that people believe to be more reputable. For me, it's it's just so hot. I'm staying away from any auction at the National Sports Card. I, I mean, I was never involved anyways. But if I had the money and I'm collecting that kind of stuff, I'm just I'm just staying away from it right now. Or the other thing that we talked about on the last show is kind of, you know, I kind of, you know, guess I don't appreciate that. I look at everything kind of from a dealer's eye. I'm not going to buy something unless it's just ridiculously a good price. And I totally understand you can go to these auctions even when they're being shilled. There are certain lots and certain auctions that are not being shilled on and, and you might be able to get a good deal on. I certainly appreciate that. And if you have that kind of eye and that kind of discipline to only buy the kind of items that, that is an extremely good deal, then um, there might actually be some opportunity here in the auction because it might scare away some of the retail buyers. But if you're more of a retailer, kind of buy, put on your mantle, put on your shelf, want to give it to your son or your kid or whatever. Um, I would be very cautious at the moment. I would probably stay away from any kind of auction um, because, again, we have we have people at the auction that are involved. We have authenticators that are involved in these. And so who knows what kind of doctoring the items, maybe upgrading, upselling or, or whatever might happen, trimming of cards, whatever might happen to get these cards to go cards and memorabilia to go for more and more money. Maybe it's not even a fake. Maybe it's not even a real autograph on there, but because PSA wanted to bid it up or because the guys from SDC wanted to bid it up, they authenticated it. And, uh, um, you know, they had a better, you know, these companies had more of a reason to authenticate these items and maybe give them a better grade than they really have because they were in their shield bidding for whatever reason. So definitely want to stay away from all this kind of stuff and definitely something you want to be aware of as a collector out there. Always be, always assume something shady. Unfortunately, this hobby is just assume something shady is happening to you because this business doesn't have high margins this business doesn't attract a lot of, you know, college graduate and, and business school elite. So just be careful what you're doing out there. Be careful pre-ordering Panini and then having them raise the price 1.5%. That's exactly what Panini did recently with uh, quite a few products ranging from soccer, I believe, to a couple different football products and a basketball product. The 1.5% it price increase resulted roughly to about a dollar per box um, in each of these products. But you can imagine for a company like Panini, uh, you know, over a half dozen to a dozen products that, that a dollar per box, you know, ends up being some real tangible money. 
I am not a, a privy. I, I have no idea why Panini did this. It could have been some kind of error. It could have been some kind of mistake. But for a company that might be doing really well, imagine if you're a company and you're about to go to the industry summit. Again, this happened a week or two prior to the industry summit. A week or two prior to facing dealers, if, if things were just going really well and maybe this – let's just estimate this amounts to – we'll call it 500000 I think that's probably overestimating, but we'll call it a half million dollars to Panini's top-line revenue number by raising prices 1.5% on a, on a you know, half dozen to a dozen products. We'll, we'll give Panini credit for a half million dollars, which I think is a little high. It might only be maybe $100,000 or not even that. To a company that, like I said, is about to face their dealers, would you really do that? If you're Panini, is it really worth the half million or 100000 or 70000 or whatever that money is? If you were doing well, would it be worth it to kind of ruffle the feather? Why wouldn't you maybe pass that price increase down later? Maybe increase the price by $2 on some boxes later on so people didn't really even notice. Maybe some people notice, but most people aren't going to notice. Maybe a dollar or two, especially a, a $1 or $2 change later on. Why does Panini have to go back and all of a sudden kind of backtrack and, and grab a little more money than it was going to get already? Certainly leads me to believe that, uh, you know, I don't know. I I don't know what it leads me to believe. Really, what I think is almost 100% of companies that have tried to do what Panini is doing have, have gone broke, have had trouble playing the leagues, have lost their licenses because of it, had to pump out product, pump out product, one after another, and eventually got in trouble for doing that for a number of reasons. Sales don't go well, people stop buying it, quality slips, customer service and quality control all slips the more and more product you come out with. Competitors also become a little more agile. You have like competitors like Upper Deck that can come out with um, e-packs. You have competitors like Leaf, who I noted have Tom Brady on-card autographs coming out for a second. I'm not you know, saying go run out and go pre-order or go buy Leaf products, but I found it interesting that Panini holds uh, an exclusive license to make NFL football cards, yet the most recognizable and most famous player and probably maybe outside of maybe Aaron Rodgers or maybe there's a couple other players, you know, certain players in the NFL when they're rookies or when they're hot, their autographs sell for a lot of money. But consistently, Tom Brady's autograph has to be one of the tops out of any current playing NFL player. And he's signing on-card autographs for Leaf. So what Panini is trying to do is not easy. It's not proven that anybody that can be successful at it outside of Tops, But Tops all these years have had the baseball license, which... A lot of in you know industry employees will tell you, you know, if you're, if you're going to pay for one license, it's going to be baseball because basketball, football, hockey, and all the other sports are extremely seasonal and extremely kind of hot or cold, kind of dependent on the rookie class. Whereas baseball has 
you know, players that play 20 plus years, 15 plus years, uh, there, there's a long, long trove of prospects. And when those prospects don't pan out, it's not, it's not as devastating as, you know, it is in the NBA and, and maybe the NFL. But the point is Panini raising prices 1.5% on dealers to me shows this company is, well, if they were swimming in money, they wouldn't have done this. So I don't know what that means, but they have a lot of products that need to be coming out this month. I believe the NFL exclusive starts within the next 30 days. So likely there's some kind of payment that I'm sure is due. The NFL doesn't uh, start a contract and then not get paid. So these guys are going to be consistently getting money from Panini America, likely every three months. So you'll see, again, I think we have blowout cards tweeted something like 45 releases coming out for March. And I can imagine it'll trickle through. And then the sixth month, I believe that's June, you'll probably have a, a huge number of releases as well. And then, you know, the ninth month, which I believe is off the top of my head, September, you'll probably have a huge amount of releases from Panini then. And then obviously in December, um, with it being the holiday time uh, anyways, but also kind of the end of the year where you kind of wrap up books, uh, expect a lot of releases. So we'll see what Panini uh, can do through the whole year. If you guys stop buying, that's my tip to you. Just stop buying. There's no way Panini can can stop making this stuff. So stop buying it, and they're going to have to put it heavily on discount because they're going to have to move through it, even if it's at a loss. Understand that Panini will move through its inventory all year at a loss if it has to. And the only way to make that happen is by not buying it. And by letting other collectors know not to buy it. Maybe other collectors that are new. Maybe other collectors that you might be helping to get into the hobby. Maybe tell them, hey, let's take a break. There's nothing wrong with collecting 2014 football or 2013 football. Or maybe some of these rookies or maybe certain cards of of players that uh, might be getting their shot this year. So we'll see what happens. Should be an interesting year, though. Vintage players worth money outside of Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, and I believe it was Hank Aaron or Willie Mays. And immediately someone, uh, those back pages on Twitter, I think that's his Twitter handle, said Roberto Clemente, Bob Clemente. I think that's a great, uh, that's a great suggestion. Uh, after... He said, Clemente, I thought of Jackie Robinson. I think you can loop, um, you know, obviously Jackie Robinson is, is at the, I think one of the most, is like one of the pinnacle athletes you can collect that has a collector base and a, you know, an, an exposure well outside of just playing baseball, given that he was the first very famous African-American baseball player to play in the major leagues. I think there's some technical. I think there was other players that might, you know, but we all know Jackie Robinson to be the, the first black baseball player. And so I think that has ma- obviously that has massive significance. And so I think his collectibles to me 
uh, is certainly something I, I aspire to hopefully have one day. Uh, Clemente, certainly. Sandy Koufax, another player. Obviously, being a Giants fan, I never really have been exposed to Koufax's greatness. And, in fact, try to have ignored it maybe a little bit. But certainly no doubting he was a great pitcher. He has a tremendous following and has a lot of really nice cards out there. Anyone from the Yankees? So, uh, Lou Gehrig. Uh, Roger Maris. I notice actually gets a, a tremendous amount of respect and his, the card values that I was looking at just recently, I was actually looking to buy one of his cards or was thought my, I might buy one of his cards because it was priced, priced at a point where it was close to being a really good buy. Yogi Berra and certainly a long list of other Yankees. I think you can just go ahead and throw Derek Jeter in there. Although with these players that are current, anything can happen. But Derek Jeter has has done a, a good job of his whole life, basically trying to avoid most of that kind of stuff. Um, Ted Williams is another guy that I think. Uh, obviously, these guys' cards are still expensive, but I think you know. Again, we're talking maybe just a, a hair half. Just a, not even a full step, but just a half step, especially when you're talking about Jackie Robinson and Clemente and Williams and Gehrig and these kind of guys, just a half step lower than where probably Mantle and Ruth prices are and even um, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. So that's who I came to think of. Obviously, there's a, a large group of players that I'm, I'm missing here. There's probably even some very big names that didn't come to my head that are that are obvious that some of you are probably, you know, like shouting, and, you know, maybe even saying out loud at the moment. I certainly think, you know, I don't think there's these players will overtake Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle or any of those, you know, the upper upper echelon, upper tier players values out of the way but certainly they can appreciate there might be more growth in there i've seen psa tweet quite a few times where it's like hey this card was bought you know this clemente card was bought three years ago for this price and now it's selling for you know sometimes you know hundred hundred thousand dollars more you know sometimes a big difference so certainly if you're if you're into vintage cards i, I would recommend um you know Seeing if there's opportunity. I think there's opportunity there. Like I said, I was looking to buy Roger Maris cards. There was some other players that I was looking into that uh, I think there's some opportunity there if you like to dig deep. Last question comes in via email was what's a true rookie? Very confusing for somebody that, you know, might have collected in the 80s and 90s, might have collected before that, might have never collected. It's kind of like watching a football game. You know, a lot of us that watch NFL football, watch NFL football for a long time, take it for granted that it's a game with lots of little rules. Now, I mean, golf has lots of little rules and basketball and um, baseball all have their own little rules. But it just seems like with NFL, because there's so much downtime in between plays, there's a lot more discussion of the rules and discussion of plays and kind of. Uh, instant replay kind of highlights kind of the odd rules to NFL football. It's kind of an odd game anyways. 
you know, it plays more like a board game with that usually comes with a set of instruction than something like basketball or soccer, which is kind of more natural where you can kind of understand the game without having anyone really explain to you what's, what's going on. So the, you know, true rookie cards is kind of like that. If you've been collecting cards for a long time, or you kind of went through that era where, where, you know, major, I don't know. I think it was kind of a group effort between major league baseball and some of the manufacturers kind of, you know, decided to start putting a rookie logo on thing. And it was kind of confusing because you have these prospect cards and you have major league baseball players that come in late. And so it's really tough. Now there, there's certainly for me, what is a true rookie card? I think it depends on how you phrase that. But to me, the most, I will, I'll phrase it like this. To me, a guy, a baseball player's most desirable card is going to be his first Bowman Chrome card. Uh, might be, maybe, might be just his first Bowman issue. Might be a paper version, but usually there's a paper version and kind of a Chrome version. Um, so I, I will yield to, you know, their very first Bowman card, whether it was in Bowman, regular Bowman or occasionally guys debut in Bowman draft. I think that's still what they're calling it. So I will yield to that being what I would consider. It might not be their most valuable rookie card, but I would, or their first rookie card, but I would consider that to me would be what I would go after first. Same with the autographs, uh, especially if it's on car. Typically, uh, Bowman's doing a little bit better. I, I mean, I don't delve into the set too much, but from what I've seen and what I bought personally, a lot of the Bowman stuff is, it, I wouldn't say a lot of it, but most of it tends to be on card autographs. And that, to me, would be a player's most desirable autograph rookie, quote, rookie card would be his very first Bowman or Bo- Bowman, Bowman Chrome, Bowman Draft, Bowman Draft Chrome autographed card. And so that would that's what I would yield to as being a true rookie. Everything that else that comes in between that, I believe, is some kind of variation of their rookie. There's certainly players like Chris Bryant who had kind of a run of cards or even players like... Uh, like Bryce Harper, who had a run of cards, and then they kind of get called up, and then they have another run of cards where they're typically in their in their major league uniform. They might have a run of cards where they're in a prospect uniform or a um, you know fall series uniform or Arizona fall league uniform or something like that, and then they you know they get called up to the major leagues, and then Tops puts the quote rookie card logo on it, and then all of a sudden they. You know, they kind of blow up. I guess they put the first, first Bowman card or first Bowman Chrome card. I don't know if they still do that, but I know they did that for a long time. I think that's one way to kind of differentiate the rookie cards. Again, everything else that comes out in between, they'll, they'll have maybe Heritage and uh, Stadium Club and all these other sets in between. Top Series 1, Series 2 update. So... You know, I think if you really, if you really love that player, I'm, I I don't know this, uh, you know, for a fact, but I'm sure, I'm pretty sure you could go back and look at 
Albert Pujols rookie cards or Mike Trout rookie cards, certainly Derek Jeter rookie cards, or any rookie card, even like Buster Posey and some of these guys, it does, yeah, they have rookie cards that come out in their first year or prospect cards come out in their first two years, in first year or two that they're in the league. And there's certainly ones that are worth more than others. But for me, as maybe an average collector, I, I don't think I'd really be too bummed out which Buster Posey autograph card or rookie card that I ended up with from his first two years. I, I, I'm sure they're all... If you bought them right, I'm sure they've all appreciated fairly well, and I'm sure you're pretty happy you have them. So, and I can imagine the same thing holds true for for any of your favorite teams or any of your favorite players out there. So, I would focus more on what you like with baseball. But if you really want to get technical, I think you start with their first Bowman card, first Bowman Chrome card, first Bowman Draft card, wherever it, it falls there in the release cycle. I think, and then you focus on their first Bowman autograph card. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes they have a Bowman paper card, and then it takes a year or it takes it going to draft for the the autograph to come. Not all the time, but sometimes that happens. So, um, you know, if an autograph seeker might want to look towards that. There's other cases where I've seen kind of going side topic here, I've been buying a lot of kind of gold and orange border and black refractors from Bowman Chrome. And occasionally, not all the time, but occasionally you'll see that those cards are actually more valuable unautographed than their autographed rookie. So don't feel that you got to stick to a player's autograph cards. The, the, the rarer refractors, if you can pick them up when nobody really cares about them, or you can pick them up sometimes for a good deal, cards out of 25, cards out of 10, cards out of 5 or whatever, and you just for some reason get it for a good deal, maybe get it in a trade, those cards can be incredibly valuable, even if the guy doesn't really pan out. Much more, I wouldn't say much more so, but often much more so than just kind of the common autograph rookie card. If the guy doesn't pan out, you'd much rather have his gold refractor out of 50 unautographed than, say, his refractor autograph numbered out of 499, for example. Just some things you want to think about. Uh, I wish I could could tell you this is what a guy's true rookie is. If any of you have a, a very specific player that you want maybe an opinion on, you can always send me an email, sportscardshow at gmail.com. You can tweet me at sportscardradio. You can tweet my brother anytime you want at sportscardnews. And you can get at me on Facebook too. If you have a certain player that you want an opinion on, say, hey, what do you think his best rookie is? Hey, what should I go with? Or if you're, you know, maybe it's a toss-up and you're trying to decide between a, a you know a card or two and you want maybe an opinion you can always contact me and I can you know I can give you my opinion I don't know how great it'll be or how accurate it'll be but uh, sometimes you know it's kind of like start and sit in NFL fantasy football you know some people I've realized you know after writing fantasy football content for the last three years I realized some people just want someone else to make the decision. And I come, I've come to really appreciate that. So when people ask me, Hey, should I start, you know, for me, it's college football. It's like, Hey, should I start, you know, Perkins from UCLA or should I start, 
uh, you know, someone else from some small school or whatever. And, you know, hey, I'll, I'll let you know. So, okay, so we're making good on time. We'll talk briefly about the industry summit that's going on this week. This year it's in Hawaii. So definitely couldn't have, well, you know, I don't say definitely couldn't have crashed the party. But if you know me, if I'm going to travel more than a, more than a, an hour or two, I need to turn it into like bare minimum, bare minimum, like week long vacation. I like taking, I actually, you know, my wife gets frustrated with this. I actually like taking vacations that are minimum a week. You know, and usually when I go on vacation, like this last time I went to Vegas, my wife was like, when are we coming home? When are we coming home? And I was like, you know, I'll I'll decide when I'm on vacation. Usually I know when I'm going on vacation, but I don't actually decide when I'm coming home until usually the week of. But sometimes it's it's a fluid situation. Sometimes I'm I'm on vacation and I just don't want it to end. And so you you extend it. So my point being is. Would have loved to crash the party in the industry summit, but uh, spending a week in Hawaii probably not, uh, probably not in the car. I'm actually saving up to buy a house, and so you kind of need, uh, <laughs> you know, the bank is pretty much willing to give you most of the money for free, but you actually do need to have a little bit of cash up front, and so I am working towards that. So a trip to Hawaii. Probably not something I should do right now. If it was in Vegas, I might have crashed it. Might have went to Vegas just to hang out with a couple people that attend the event. I think it would have been fun to hang out. But another time, another place. I heard rumors that the Industry Summit might be coming back to Las Vegas. If that's the case and and enough people go, I'm not going to support the event and actually go to it. But I might just go to Vegas just to hang out and just to chill. And it might be kind of fun just to get kind of the inside scoop just by being there. Um, in terms of what's happening there, not nah, it doesn't seem like a whole lot. I think Tops announced that they're having a National Baseball Card Day, and I think that's you know, I mean, I think that's something they should have been doing. I think these guys should have like clubs. These guys should have like fan clubs or like collector clubs. They should get be getting you know forty nine ninety nine a year from you guys and shooting you you know a t shirt or a medallion or you know a, a visor or something and you know maybe a special set. They used to do this. They used to collect information uh, like this. Um, but I think that you could turn something like this with social media and the way to get the word out about these kind of things and, and the way payment methods are now back then you used to have a send a check in and it was probably renewal rates and your churn was probably kind of high now with credit cards, I got credit cards that don't expire for seven years. So if you get on a renew on that, there, there's no way I'm going to cancel it. You know what I mean? You know, unless I go broke, I'm not going to go cancel something that's costing me $50 a year or $5 a month. I'm not going to, you know, it's like Hulu. I watch like three shows a month, but am I going to go cancel or pause a $7.99 bill? No. I mean, that's Netflix too. Everybody complains about Netflix not being as good as it used to. Well, nobody's canceling. So, um, but anyways... I think the industry summit uh, could develop those those kind of ideas, but it looks like Tops 
as as bringing back National Baseball Card Day, they did announce that they had a one million active users uh, across all their apps, which I thought was was extremely impressive. Even if you're only monetizing those guys for three cents, four cents, five cents a day, times one million, any number times one million is a lot. So, and especially when you're talking about money. So I'm very, very impressed with what I think there's this perception out there that making mobile digital cards is easy. Digital cards is, you know, like, oh, all you need to do is, you know, have digital cards. It's this easy business model. It is not easy. I am extremely impressed that Tops has been able to monetize, not only have gained the, the customers to, uh, you know, the Tops apps, which are not something that I, not something that I've ever used before, not something that I really appreciate myself, but I certainly appreciate the amount of users they've, they've gotten to it and the way they've monetized it uh, in certain ways that I've heard. I'm in, I'm just extremely impressed, extremely, extremely impressed with what Tops has done. If it was easy, trust me, everybody would be doing it. Panini's apps would be successful. Upper Deck would have apps. Leaf would have apps. Check on my cards would have apps. Upper Deck, you know, everybody would have it. Beckett would have an app. You know, some game app where you you know you bought virtual something virtual virtual graded cards or whatever, and you made money on it. It's not not easy. So it's, I I think it's harder than actually making cards. And I think making trading cards, making physical trading cards is a very, very tough business, especially to make a, a, a large profit in. But I, I find what Topps has done uh, extremely impressive. I know they hired some executives from EA Sports and some other areas that are very multi-billion dollar companies. So they, these guys have a pedigree of success and likely had a lot of experience to draw back on. But still... Hand clap, you know, standing ovation to what Tops has done with these apps. Again, I don't play them. I don't know any. I, I don't know. I've never. I think I might have downloaded them once and fooled around with them. Like when I first got my iPad four years ago, five years ago. But I haven't downloaded and played with them really since then. I really all, only have gone off what I've heard. And, uh, you know, if you're a physical guy, you know. Don't don't worry too much about the, this digital stuff, and uh, you know, I don't think it's you know, physical cards were already kind of under pressure in terms of sales and and demand and interest. I don't think anything that the digital side is going to do anything but hurt it. I mean, a million eyeballs onto the Tops brand per day is is good. Is a million eyeballs? If that number is even close to being accurate. That is extremely impressive. I don't care if you're Microsoft building an app or Tops building an app. Getting a million people to engage with you consistently is extremely impressive. Uh, Panini, I think, is kind of, at least I haven't seen a whole lot from them. I think they, they kind of hold court, I believe, Maybe even later today, I'm talking on a, a Tuesday afternoon, basically. I think they hold court or kind of glive out black boxes on one of the last days. So they like you to go home maybe feeling good about Panini. They usually try to have some kind of announcement. Might be NASCAR this year. Might be something. Might be some kind of new license that they have going on there. I don't think that would be 
much of a quote game changer or anything like that. Um, but uh, eh. upper deck, I think, was trying to spin that EPAX could be beneficial to hobby shops, and I don't, I don't know about that. But uh, I don't think anything, you know, a retail guy. I can't speak for the guys sitting there. You know, but I could tell, I can tell you, I used to be in those guys' shoes. I used to be a card shop owner. I used to be a retailer. And I could tell you, if I owned a shop right now, I really wouldn't care too much about e-packs, quite honestly. It'd be, it'd be shocking to most of you, um, but I believe even today, again, I was in business, well, man, it was, it's, we're running on almost 10 years ago now. Not quite 10 years ago. Seven, eight years ago was my last year in business. 2008, in fact. Um, You'd be shocked how many people back then had no idea about blowout cards. Didn't have an eBay username. Never bought a card on eBay. Never sold a card on eBay. Didn't care to buy or sell a card on eBay. I would say a large percentage of my sports card customers, which again was a small portion of my business, 90% of my business was hats, new era hats, jerseys, t-shirts, trinkets, pennants, stuff with high margin, stuff that I could mark up 50%. 10% of my store and probably 10% of my sales were all sports cards. And I would say the majority of those customers Again, they didn't care about eBay. They didn't care that they could get the same pack and the same box I was selling them on eBay. So I don't think there's probably a large percentage of customers that are aware of e-packs. And yes, there's going to be e-pack customers that don't go to a hobby store now because of e-packs. But it's not going to be every customer and certainly not, um, you know, if you're a hobby store, most are surviving on other things these days. You're surviving on gaming. You're surviving on maybe a really good real estate deal. Maybe you maybe you own the building. Maybe you're in an area of the country where it's 30 cents a square foot or I don't know. You know, out here in California and in, in, in kind of no, even no man's land is, is $1.25 a square foot or so. Certainly really nice retail that are next to, you know, in a grocery center, kind of a Target, you know, chain type mini mall. You're looking at north of, you know, two dollars, maybe a square foot. San Francisco, you know, L.A., it's it's way over that. So you're looking at 10. You're looking at the 10, 12, I've seen 10, 12, 13 dollars a square foot. And that's not in a very nice neighborhood. So. You know, card shops have a lot of things, a lot of other things not going for them. I saw e-commerce outpaced regular commerce for the first time this year in holiday sales. And that's just a trend that we're all aware of. And it's just going to keep going. So more and more sales will go online. There'll be less and less retailers, certainly mom and pop retailers that will be able to survive. And they'll have to, people will have to trans, transition into other businesses. Just buying goods and then pricing them and expecting people to come in and buy them. 
uh, at your store is just not a model that's going to work anymore. More of a, you know, the United States is a service-based economy. You might want to think about becoming a consignment seller, maybe a pawn shop, um, you know, model might work a little bit more. Maybe a thrift shop model might work a little bit more. Maybe that kind of, you know, our consignment store model might be better. I'm not saying that, that it might be, that's your ticket to success, but just buying Panini and Tops and Leaf and Upper Deck product wholesale and expecting to make money on that when these guys are focusing on e-packs and 1 million digital card people, trust me, they don't care about you. They don't care about you as a retailer. So that about sums it up. I don't think I got a whole lot more. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this small edition of the Sports Card Show podcast. We'll be back again. Thanks for I got like I got like five more topics. We'll be back pretty soon. I'll have like five more. I might be even back later this week. Chances are I don't like to promise things here on the Sports Card Show podcast, as you guys like to know. But um, I will say that there there's a chance, there's a good chance I'll be back later this week. Maybe wrap up anything that happens at the Industry Summit in Hawaii. And I will also go over the rest of the listener questions that I have and any more that might filter in until then. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much to the people that uh, support the show by contacting me. Again, I don't ask you for money. I will reserve the right not to blatantly ask you for money in the future, but I might sell a book or I might have some kind of like, I actually have, Two or three, uh, what I would call software as a service. It's kind of the, the buzz term given to it. I have a few of those models that I'm working on, nothing that I've launched, but I have some things that, you know, the, the $299, $399, $499 a month or, you know, $99 a year type, type software model. I don't have anything specific to cards quite yet, but maybe I will in the future. I might hawk that to you guys. Might hawk a book, might hawk uh, something, maybe a website later on in life to you guys. But for now, just send me your emails, send me your questions, send me your comments, send me your thoughts, and I'll gladly take them into consideration and discuss them here on the show. Until then, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your week. Don't work too hard. Kick those feet up. We are out of here.